Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm your guest today, Mike Levy. And today, we're talking to Mike Levy. (laughs) (laughs) Shit! (laughs) Uh, Joining us today is Mike Levy. Uh, We also have Mike Casimer, the two OG Mikes. Uh, I'm Brian Park. And we are sitting in my very cold garage because my child's daycare was closed today. Surrounded by 3D printers and 3D printed guns. (laughs) Just a bunch of kids. Just a bunch of children making stuff it we're literally using boxes as tables this is this feels very pink bike circa 2011 (laughs) now (laughs) yeah this is going to be a weird one because we're talking to mike levy about mike levy um for those of you who don't know mike levy that well oh he's gonna get really embarrassed about this i love it uh i don't i i was writing some stuff last night and I, i don't think we can overstate the impact he's had on the sport genuinely oh look at him he's so uncomfortable I don't like he is the what number of what number higher were you at pink bike uh either three or four mm-hmm. i want to say four because tyler main was there before me and jordan holmes was also mm-hmm. there before me as well so you were one of the first sort of tech editors i wouldn't call myself a tech editor at the time like we literally had no clue what we were doing but yeah i mean i was that was the idea is to be like a tech editor at at pink bike yeah i think i'd like to start a campaign today that's gonna you're gonna hate this but i think we start the campaign mike levy for mountain bike hall of fame i think oh, we should, yeah, we should do definitely that. do that <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. i don't i don't even like those in there. words or talking about oh, that'd that be great no we'll get you in there i don't know how it works you probably just pay him money and anyone can get in so we'll get you in there <laughs> Shit. jokes aside though i honestly don't think you like you're very self-deprecating or as we like to say self-defecating always <laughs> But I don't think you maybe realize or want to think about the impact you've had on mountain biking and the people around the sport. And yeah, Mike Levy for Mountain Bike Hall of Fame. So you've been away from Pink Bike for a while now. Can you let people know what's going on? Uh, Yeah, I've just been hanging out, really. I've been riding a bit of bikes, been driving a lot of cars, been doing a lot of dog walking. It's been great. Uh, thinking about some things and uh, obviously I think at this point everybody probably knows I'm not coming back uh, I think they do after hearing you say no, that oh shit yeah. I just said it yeah <laughs> that's official when I say it right yeah yeah as of I guess it was official officially official last week yeah but yeah it's official Mike Levy is unemployed <laughs> <laughs> da, da, da. why um I mean all sorts of reasons it's been a long time like it has been like 30 something years, not 30. It's been like <laughs> 15 or 14, I think. Um, and I feel like I just want to ride bikes and talk about bikes when I want to ride bikes and I want to talk about bikes. Rather than have somebody tell you to talk about this derailleur at this time. Yeah. And well, it's okay. So here's the thing. Like, obviously it's a ridiculous job. Like I can't, you know, like Kaz, we can't complain about, isn't this crazy? It's really crazy. That we've been doing it's this. weird. Like it's, yeah. I, we'll, we'll get into how crazy. It's yeah. just insane to me that I got to do this. Um, but like, you know, some days I eat four bagels and then the next day I'm like, oh, I can't eat another. I got to take a day off a bagel. You know what I mean? <laughs> and sort of that's what I feel like. I'm just tired, man. I'm tired yep. of flying. I don't fly well. I never have. It's gotten worse. Um, I don't need to fly for the job, but like that's a factor too. I just, yeah, I just want to do something different eventually. 
the crushing weight of Google Calendar invites gets to a man. <laughs> yeah, Google <laughs> might be the reason. <laughs> I will say, so I'm sure there's going to be, well, I did see some comments, like some outside, like outside fired him, like Mike's leaving. Mike's HR leaving. violations. Yeah, HR, definitely a lot of HR violations. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it has nothing to do with the outside thing. I will say like Pinkbike has definitely changed, especially over the last, you know, three to five years or, three mm-hmm. or four, however long it's been. But I've been super insulated from that. I would say that like all the tech heads are like, we've just been let to go do our thing, continue riding bikes and talking about bikes. And yeah, there's an extra meeting or two, but it's like, it hasn't changed. Kaz is a taskmaster. My intern Kaz. Yep. Did I get a promotion now that you're leaving? Can I get paid intern? I guess. I mean, yeah. that's up to Robin. Yeah, true. I'd be Robin's paid intern now, I think. <laughs> I, I think we're all Robin's paid intern. Uh, yeah, true. Hmm. <laughs> I think this is a good time, Levy, to to reflect on the the changes over the years. Like PB is, I know you said it hasn't changed, whatever, but think about Pinkbike in 2023, 2024, and Pinkbike in, what, when did you join? 2000 and something? 1987. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't actually know, but like I cannot, I cannot overstate how much some things have changed and how much some things have stayed exactly the same. Like that original pink bike office in Chilliwack, like super sketchy area, just like three or four dudes like hanging out. We didn't know what we were doing. Like we were selling DVDs. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously changed a ton. Yeah, I mean, it was just an apartment, that place, the original spot. Like I remember going there and then you went in and there's a bedroom and a bathroom and then a two desks. There was Levy's desk and Tyler's desk, but then Levy was never at his desk and it was just a, yeah, it was like being, it was being in someone's living room and that was Pinkbike headquarters for a while. Yeah. And I think Radic originally, the founder of Pinkbike, Radic Burkett, originally got that building basically because he was riding lots of motorbikes and he had a big truck and doing that stuff. And he just wanted something like somewhere to park his motorbikes and do that kind of stuff. And it had a split office upstairs. Like, so one half was like a living area. And I remember Radic and Carl's dad, Stan. Stan. Shout out to Stan. He lived on the other side a lot of the time with his dog, Coda. Um, yeah, and we would just show up and go upstairs, and I would sit around for eight hours and not do anything and go home, basically. So that part hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. I think you've seen sort of the rise and then fall of mountain bike print. Yeah. And then the rise of the internet side of things. Yeah. and. What were those early days, the internet versus print like? Dude, I miss those days. So yeah, let's go way back. So this is like uh, before Kaz started, around the time Kaz started, um, we weren't getting, it sounds crazy now, but like companies didn't invite us to press camps. Nobody knew who we were and you couldn't blame them. Like you go on the webpage and I mean... To be fair, like Tyler, Tyler Maine, who God bless Tyler Maine, kept Pink Bike running on his own for years. Yeah. Tyler Maine is the reason that we can sit here and talk about all this shit. So thanks, Tyler Maine. Um, but like he was a one man operation and like he didn't, it was very different times. So you would go to the homepage and you could understand why we weren't getting invites. Mm-hmm. We weren't being professional if we didn't even know what to do. So man, dude, I remember going to a trade show and i was it was mavic booth 
and I'm like, oh, show me these wheels. And the guy's like, oh, where are you from? And I, was, I said, oh, we're from Pink Bike. And he's like, oh, what, what kind of bikes do you guys sell? And I was trying to explain to him that like we weren't a bike shop, you know? <laughs> like, have you heard of the internet? So yeah. there's this website, www. Yeah. Like- and man, those days, like I was scared every single press camp, every single article that went live because I grew up reading magazines. Mm-hmm. You know, and just being in awe of these people. And then all of a sudden I'm going to press camps and I'm meeting these people and like kind of hanging out, riding with them, kind of hanging out with them. Um, and you were pretty competitive. I was an asshole. A, I am you an are asshole. competitive as a person. Yeah. Yeah, very, very much so. So, you know, and we, like if we go back, I'm not going to say that like people were like rude or mean outwardly, but, you know, there was definitely some like, who the fuck are these kids from the internet? Like, we're from the magazine. We're from the print world. Paper is special. Paper is special. Of course it is. But, dude, like, there are very special things online. There's just a lot more things. So you have to sift through them. But there are better things online or just as good as there are in any freaking magazine. So anyways, so back then, meeting these people, going to these press camps, and just getting the feeling that, like, not that we weren't welcome, but it was like that vibe a mm-hmm. little bit, you know, and that was fire under my ass. You know, I, I remember going to trade shows and, you know, we would go to a trade, Sea Otter, for example, you know, or Vegas or whatever. We would go to trade shows and we would see these guys who worked in print and they would spend the entire day drinking in booths and hanging out, talking to people. Because obviously, they don't have a website to update, so of course, you know. And then at night, they would go out and get hammered at the Crown and Anchor or, or whatever. And we were running back and forth from the booth to the media center to post things, to yep. get five, ten stories up every single day. And then when it was trade show was done, we would go home, we'd go through drive through we'd sit in front of our computers, and we'd post more stories. Yep. And it was at the time... Print media, they didn't know how to do that. They worked their ass off in a very different way. Don't get me wrong. Like they had different deadlines, you know, things like that. But we worked, Kaz, you remember, like we worked yeah. so hard. It was insane how hard we were working. Yeah. I mean, there was any pressure almost like we had to win. You had to win a press camp. The expectation was that you'd be the, the fastest rider there or get the yes. most content. And then you have to win trade shows. You have to get all the scoops on every single thing. I mean, that's still the expectation, but it's a different different landscape now where it's less of a battle i feel like yeah and i miss that a lot to be honest like i miss i mean he wasn't entirely serious but i remember carl telling me like if you don't get that up first we're gonna fly you home <laughs> you know? yeah. and he was he was like half joking yeah yeah he would kind of like check in and make sure like you're you're winning right and like i hope so maybe i don't yeah. know how many times did carl threaten to send you home or fire you <laughs> He never actually did, to be fair. Never. <laughs> ne- he was only half joking. Radic, maybe a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just joking, Radic. <laughs> but also, don't kill me, Radic. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, those times, I, if it was still like that, I think I would prefer it, to be honest. Like you still, that you still want to share, share a hotel room with everybody? Remember, we were all in one hotel room in oh. Taiwan. I think there's four of us in one hotel room, and the hotel beds are super small. Yep. Like, I remember going to Vegas, our first years in Vegas, we would get a suite room. Which sounds baller. It sounds fancy. While there, you know, there's like three people from Pink Bike because that's all we, that's all there is. But then there was like three or four like other people that we're sharing with, like sleeping on the floor, like rowdy stuff. I mean, even in 2016 or 17 when I joined, which is way past the 
full punk rock days. But I remember showing up at Sea Otter and being like, wait, we're making Richard Cunningham, who's like 8,000 years old, sleep on the floor? What? He might have had a couch. <laughs> no, he had a floor. Uh, yeah. He had a floor. Well, yeah. But that's the thing. Yeah, like we'd, we'd rent a whole house. We'd like, we have a house. But then you realize 20 people in one house. And like, oh, this isn't quite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sleeping in closets. Closets, Every sure. single well, trade show under balconies. the stairs. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about not loving flying, but you have been on a lot of trips. Yeah. What are the best ones? It is so surreal to me to think back that I've been able to travel the world to ride bikes and meet some of these people. Like the athletes are cool to meet, the company people behind the factory tours. Like it's mm-hmm. all been ridiculous. There's definitely some highlights. Um, I think, you know, one of the top three highlights for me doesn't involve a plan at all. And it's the BC bike race, mm-hmm. doing it four and a half times. Like to do the BC bike race is like, if you guys haven't done it, I don't, it was just, it's insane. It's probably one of my best experiences on bikes every single mm-hmm. year. Um, another one would have to be, I got to go to Israel to do this Samarathon three-day XC race with Wayne. With Wayne, who we're still not sure exists. <laughs> <laughs> he, to go, like to take my buddy Wayne to Israel with me to do a stage race. And while we're there, so we do a three-day stage race in Israel we walk around Jerusalem for a whole day. We get to tour Masada, like this f- fortress up on the hill. It's just, we got to float in the Dead Sea. So we do this three-day stage race. It's the winter, so my 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 undercarriage is like, you know, not super broken in, you know? So they're big days and pretty torn up. Wayne and Wayne's pretty torn up too under there. I'm like, we're sore, you know, we got it. And... Uh, we after the race the next day they put us on a bus and we're like going towards jerusalem we stop at the dead sea we stay in a hotel beside the dead sea and wayne and i are like well we're getting up at fucking five in the morning and we are floating in the dead sea and we are watching the sunset neither of us realized how bad we were torn up the pain walking into that water (laughs) when it hit like crotch level this like because it's super salty water right because that's why you float in it the burning like it felt like knives cutting up my taint (laughs) Well, Anyways, so but to so float this, in the so Dead Sea. So this was one of his best trips ever. <laughs> <laughs> to float in the Dead Sea, like with my buddy Wayne, who we just did an XC race together with, like insane, craziness. Kaz, have you ever met him? Yeah, you have met him. Oh, yeah. He's real. Oh, he's a real person. He's okay. awesome. Yeah, because he came down those early days when we drive down to Sedona. Oh, could we do, talk about that? Yeah, we used to. It wasn't really field test. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I should explain how this worked. So we tricked Pink Bike. It was a good, a good scheme that we got going on. So the idea was we'd go in the winter time, go down to the desert for as long as possible with a bunch of bikes, and we would review all the bikes. But then the reviews would come out at a later date, and we just spread them out. So we'd go down with like six or seven bikes or something, and then get a month down there and just ride bikes and do. Uh, lots of work important work but not really because we just ride and ride and ride we would invite our friends yeah everyone come and hang out in the house and we would just test these bikes but it was mostly just riding and riding and there was not the deadline was so far out that we could just ride and we would shoot photos like a couple days but yeah wayne came down at least on one or two of those trips and yeah we just ride bikes i like that what you're describing is an actual job but you guys felt like you were winning the lottery and like pulling one over on carl where he he knew a hundred percent yeah but come it on. felt like it was nice i mean it was just it was just life transferred down there. Yeah, we just mm-hmm. drove. It wasn't a rush, like a field test. It wasn't yeah. that sort of thing, you know? And like Pink Bike paid for the food and the yeah. fucking accommodation and like the gas money to get the there. Closet. Like, <laughs> the closet. Like, Wayne, come on down. Yeah, like, going. Mark, come yeah. on down, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we should talk about Mark too. Oh, yeah. Because he's going to be sad that he doesn't get to be here for this because he was our 
intern for one of those trips maybe we call him that you can't he brought him down as a mechanic this is guy for people that don't know he works in the industry now calm donnie but he came on this trip and we sent him down early we just with levy so we're going to be down there for about a month and so mark went down first with levy just to get the lay of land build the bikes and stuff i had never met mark yeah they had never (laughs) met mark goes in super green he's probably like 19 18 he's gonna be the mechanic and he's maybe packing a few extra pounds i'd say a little bit and then levy's on a mission to just ride all day every day and then took mark on this mission and just maybe we would i don't know if we let's see you heckled him into being a really fast fit rider because of that trip i just i did a lot of screaming at mark yeah but look at him now i know it worked like this i don't should know should i be a coach i think you could be yeah this just a yelling and then you have like shame you like put into him that he just never stopped training since then and he's crazy fit now and so i think that uh yeah you deserve credit for transforming him at a yeah. young age you're like a mentor that's how my mind works. Like it works on shame. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like how hard you work to not say the words fat shame in that story. Yeah, because it was more just about like general shame. Like he was probably fat shaming I too, but it's just the overall. Fat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a different program. It's a, not for everybody, but it worked for Mark. So I think he appreciates it's, it. That's how like I get my motivation. Like my buddies that I ride with at Chilliwack, like it, I want somebody behind me yelling at me, telling we, me that I'm a piece of shit. For the people who haven't had the privilege of riding with Levy. Um, it's not always fun. No, there's, there's so much yelling. <laughs> so loud. So much yelling. We're, I don't think I yell that much. Sometimes. You you yell 2,000% more than I do. Well, there, I have a lot of close calls. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, no, more like the person in front of you. There's a lot of pressure riding in front of you. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, I, 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 just everything has to be a race. I, I, and <laughs> like I eat dinner with Sarah, we sit down and I'm like, oh, I'm going to beat her. Yeah, you do. You eat so fast. This is yeah, Levy stories. When you got to eat with Levy, he orders the first thing. Well, not the first thing, but he can read the menu like a speed reader, picks it, has it ordered, and he'll be done with his meal before you even got your drinks. Kaz, we're going out for dinner. Anything on the menu is better than I can make. So I it doesn't matter what I it's pick. It's true. <laughs> but still, it's a fast beat. It's very, it's a race and he wins. Let's go from best moments to worst moments. Mm. What are the worst ones? Worst moments, eh? Um, well, I mean, I don't really like flying, but that doesn't, I don't think that counts as like a worst moment. Oh, I think it does. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Having traveled with you on a plane, I can understand that yeah. that is you a know, worst I'll, moment. I'll actually, I'll let you in a little bit. Like, so I've had dreams of dying in a plane crash since I was a kid, which is crazy. Like super realistic ones. You know, and I, uh, I mean, I'm a bit into like woo woo stuff, you know, and, uh, yeah. So it's just like all those things come together. I think that's all I'm going to say, but all those things come together, (laughs) you know, I, I, if I could not fly, I'm fine. But like, honestly, if there's somewhere amazing to go to, you know, I'll get on a plane and go there. And, and if I have to, I'm not, I'm, I might take. A lot of drugs but i'll get there <laughs> maybe too many and then you get to the place then puke a little bit oh, but then dude. rally to go see pyramids oh dude okay we'll tell that story <laughs> <laughs> so i really wanted to go to egypt i've had i have loved egypt and the pyramids since i was a kid uh lots of other places like machu picchu and like it's just interesting stuff you know like it's amazing so i've, I've always wanted to go there and i figured why not go there so last year i bought a plane ticket and i went there and i didn't want to buy a plane ticket nope. <laughs> Um, and I took, I got some meds from the doctor and I, uh, I took like way too many and I also might, I don't drink and I also might've had a couple glasses of champagne and 
I got so sick. Like they wanted to call people on the plane and they like the, the people I was barfing in the plane. I barfed in my mask. I barfed in the taxi. I barfed at the hotel. The guy wanted to call, uh, anyways. Yeah. It was a gong show. (laughs) I don't like flying. (laughs) Yeah. But you saw the pyramids though. Oh dude. Goosebumps. Yeah. I'd go back there tomorrow. That's cool. Yeah. Inside the pyramids. Like to be like to go see those things, like crazy. I went to Saqqara as well, the tombs. Oh yeah. Man. So I do want to talk about you know the the UFOs that made those pyramids, <laughs> your sim racing, your future plans, etc. But I think first there's a I asked some people for some Levy stories. Mm. And so I've got a huge list to go through. Um I think for like, the very first thing is we should call RC. Oh, shit. Because he said he'd be around for some Levy stories. Okay. So, can we call RC? Yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, mister. Richard Cunningham, how are you? Well, I'm getting anxious now because I've been waiting for a fucking hour for something I was already nervous about when I started. <laughs> All right. Well, you've got me, Levy, and Kaz. We've introduced things. Levy has announced that he is not returning from hiatus to, to mountain bike media. He's uh he's gonna go and wander the back out uh, of the backwoods of Chilliwack like a nomad of some sort, looking for UFOs. Um, and we need we need your best Levy stories. I have a, a few Levy stories. Probably the best one is to start with is when I first met the guy, which is kind of funny. It's very indicative of of the future of our relationship, I guess. So so basically, it's kind of like the beginning of a pink bike as a force because you know for as long as i remember you know pink bike was kind of like this obscure but very influential group of people and the first time i saw him was when we got invited to go to this spectacular trip that could never be duplicated because where we went is now a gang a mexican cartel run section of the world so basically trek invited us to uh, copper canyon and it was pretty pretty difficult trip we had to go to texas and we had to to drive all the way through like we had to fly to mexico and then drive to chihuahua to some weird place but anyway it's this tiny little indian village at copper canyon and it was a big deal for trek because they've been kind of like kind of like marginalized stuck in cross country and they were trying to get into the trail bike the longer travel trail bike thing and i think it was a the carbon bike that trek had and uh so i see this guy and he's younger than most of us he's completely white he's so white <laughs> that that if you if you rode on a moonlight night you wouldn't need lights i mean his body would just reflect white like a, this alabaster or porcelain body that actually could pedal a bike I was really white. I mean, I couldn't help myself. I just said, I said, Levy, you're the whitest person I've ever seen in my life. And he looked at me like, what the hell? Screw you, RC, or something like that. Anyway, I got got a bad look from him. But anyway, so, so, I mean, the Tarahumara Indians live there. And during the summer, they live at the top of the canyon, which is kind of pines and these beautiful, like, tufa hills that are carved out with cliffs and stuff. And they live during the winter about 5,000 feet down in this canyon. It's much larger than the Grand Canyon, but it's not as spectacular looking because it's so big 
but it just dominates the landscape. And instead of having these sandstone, colored sandstone cliffs, they're this volcanic tufa that, that has come from volcanoes over millions of years, and it's just bottomless. And But the caves that form these things are so large that the Taramara can actually bring their animals. They have, like, little stockades and stuff inside the caves, and there are all these footpaths. The network is like... I think it would be safe to say that there's almost a thousand miles of these footpaths that have been used for centuries. And that's what this ride was based on. We were going to go down on these footpaths. And so let's, let's wheel back to getting started. So Trek has all these brand new bikes out and Levy comes cruising out and he, and he leans his bike up against the ground and he pulls out this sack, this just tattered black, dirty sack. And he, unzips it and he pulls out a handlebar with his favorite grips and a stem that's like 40 or 50 millimeters which is the shortest stem you can get just completely beat to crap it's got scratches all over the place but he doesn't stop there he pulls out a saddle his own saddle he gets a dropper post and all of the you know like this isn't a dropper post this is a gravity dropper and it's so crusty he's used it for like half of since the beginning of the gravity dropper. He looked like a ragtag, um, kind of like a, a surf urchin, or he was a bike urchin from Chilliwack. And he pulls out all the stuff. And then he gets a, these tools, and, and they're rusty. These are the Allen wrenches that you forgot your tools, and you start digging in the back of your car where the wheel wells, you know, where the spare tire well is, and you find these rusty tools. And they, they were like... And he's like taking apart this bike. So here's this beautiful Trek fuel XT or whatever it is. And he's got the whole thing stripped down and he's putting beat up pedals on it, all this stuff. And by the time he's done, it looks like the bicycle is ready to, to sell on, on pink bike <laughs> at a discount. And I thought to myself, how could you possibly test a bike? when 75% of it is your old ratty stuff that you take out of the garage, but this was his MO. It had to be just right, had to be had to, all the right stuff. So this was kind of horrifying for me because I figured I've been testing bikes for a million years, you know, and I and I realized, yeah, this is just style. I'm just going to have to get used to it. So we take off, and he is just... 100% gas all the time. Like, he's got to he's gotta do everything. These trails are, like, precipitous. If you fall off, you're going to die. It's like 100 feet is the minimum distance that you can fall, and then it gets worse from there. And the Tara Omara wheelbarrows, and what made this possible to ride is on all the little sections where there'd normally be a drop or there'd be this, like, unusual step up or something, they had put little tiny ramps just enough for the wheel of one wheelbarrow, which is just enough for a bicycle. So the trails were spectacular. And Levy is just basically pushing everybody off the trail. He's just passing everybody with just like a hair here and a hair there. And I thought to myself, this guy is a maniac. You know, but he was that competitive. He wanted to show everybody. I think it was probably his first big launch that he ever went to. And he wanted to show everybody that, damn it, the people in Chilliwack can outride any of you little you know, industry Fs. <laughs> yeah. How much was he yelling? Was he yelling a lot? He wasn't yelling. He was like, on your left, on your right, on your left. <laughs> yeah, he's like this <laughs> little urchin. <laughs> and that was, my, that was my first time I met Levy. I thought, wow, 
I'll never forget this guy. Little did I know that I'd be working with a guy at five years. <laughs> yeah, so you were, what were you, mountain bike action at the time? Or? I was mountain bike action Yeah. <laughs> at the time. How, how did, and, how you did... know, it was like old school mountain bike action. This was like, I'd been, I'd been working with mountain bike action for what, 10 years or something like that. Or it, was, it was a long time. And he was just starting out. So it was like these two guys who were totally into the sport, completely different. And I thought to myself, literally, he couldn't have been more different than I. And then who would guess that like five years later, we'd be working side by side. It was just. <laughs> yeah. How, how did, how did you magazine guys feel about, about Levy and, and these upstarts coming down the urchins? I like that. I'd, I'd ridden in the North Shore and all this stuff. I, I've, I've been around, you know, in, in D.C., not as high as, as not as, as far inland as Chilliwack, but, you know, at the time, Chilliwack was famous for pink bike and weed. I mean, it's the most, it's the rainiest, it's Classic. the rainiest place in D.C. And the biggest business was a hydroponic outlet. And you're like, okay, that's telling you something. <laughs> Just, hey, we're here just in case you guys need more water, right? <laughs> RC, I I do remember that that trip to Copper Canyon, and I remember being incredibly nervous because I think I had, I had done a trip. My only previous trip was to a Magura press camp to Sedona, which you know those are pretty low key, and then I flew to Chihuahua for trek to do this thing in uh, with the new remedy or whatever it was. Yeah. And I remember just being like more nervous and scared and anxious about this that you could possibly imagine. And that was probably something to do with trying so hard, but I'm glad it didn't fall off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I remember you and I were, were, on, were in one of those little precipice type things and the trail was completely gone and you were ahead of me uh, about four riders ahead of me and I saw you and you just went way up on the embankment and just zoomed high, skipped the entire washed out section and dropped back on the trail. And I thought, good line. And I followed you the same way. And there was already a couple of German guys that were pushing their bikes up the hill. They had tried it and failed. <laughs> oh, those are good times. <laughs> I mean, and at that time, like Levy was replacing a probably 90 millimeter stem on that bike. Yeah. Uh, this is like 08, 07, something like that? Something like that. Um, and oh, oh, yeah. 90 millimeters is about the shortest that were, they were there. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, everybody was, was calling for shorter stems there, especially mm -hmm. Levy. You know, QT was on the vanguard. And we needed it. But nobody recalculated the length of the bikes. Yeah. So Levy was also one of the first guys. I mean, he's not a, he's not a big guy. He's like a – Levy is – if he was a dog, he'd be a, a – a Jack Russell Terrier. It's like when you when they're mad at you, they're they're as large as an elephant. I mean, all you see is teeth and fiery eyes, and this ah, you're like, what the hell? But then when you look at them, they're sitting sitting in bed typing and stuff like that. I think, oh, he's not that big of a guy. Why does he use? Why does he get extra large brains all the time? You know, maybe he's got this giant ego. And you know, it was that time where everybody was ordering framing up like two sizes, and the reason was. The industry had started installing short stems because Levy had basically browbeaten the entire industry in, in a matter of two years to put like 50 millimeter stems on every bike. 
but they were still old school and they, and they thought a medium had a 23 inch top tube. And so the only way you can get a longer top tube to compensate for that 90 milliliters of stem that just disappeared on the bike is to put it to size up two sizes. And Levy, fortunately, has long legs and a short torso, so he could pull it off. <laughs> yeah, because the seat tubes were still super long. Nobody changed that either. I also no, and it was the, but the crazy part was we needed to length put the length back into the top tubes, and it didn't happen for like eight years. For eight years, well, probably the top because tubes were too short. Probably because Levy kept saying that bikes were too long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not going to talk about yeah. that, are we? <laughs> <laughs> about Levy's greatest hits were. Yeah, the things that Levy called for. Yeah. <laughs> Levy, anybody mentioned how competitive you are? Yes, everybody has mentioned how competitive he is. I, I don't feel that competitive in the moment, but I guess that's what competitive people say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I've seen your face every time you drop a, a heat in go-karts. Oh, yeah. And that, like, you're competitive. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> you're competitive. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I thought that that was... Is pretty like central to I think what mountain bike media or media in general needed um, and needs like there you can't you can't just like clock in clock out kind of chill but, not yeah especially not back then like if we were just doing mm-hmm. normal hours and stuff back then yeah it it wouldn't have worked we had to we had to work really hard and like I'll tell you the truth like I don't want to work hard ever in my life nobody <laughs> like why would you want to you know but you know what I want to do I want to do what I want to do. And if I want to do it, I want to do it better than some other person or more or harder or whatever. Yeah. You want to win. I want to win. Yeah. RC, you, do you have any, do you have any other good Levy ones? Oh, I got, I got one that's, that I probably nobody else knows. Yes. So Levy, Levy, uh, mom, I think he was, he was raised by a single mom and, and she gave him like way more freedom than you should give a guy. So <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> and, and Levy Levy likes when Levy likes to be out there, you know, doing stuff. But but when he's not doing stuff, he just disappears. He's like if he had if he live he live in a cave, a little you know, dig a hole and be like a marmot, he'd live in a cave. Because then nobody could bother him. The phone would never ring and he could just do whatever the F he wants. I think he just said that. So Levy grew up in a treehouse. He, he left home and went across the backyard and pretty much lived in a treehouse. So he had his, as a youth, he had his own life. He had his own stuff. He had his own house. His mom took care of the food and all that stuff. I imagine it was just gummy bears and, and uh, frosted flake cereal. I assume it's horrible, because, yeah. Yeah, he's pretty much, yeah. If, it's, if, it's, if it has a Japanese word on it and lots of sugar and, and it's a gummy, that's pretty much steak and potatoes for him but anyway back to the story so now i'm working for pink bike and we go and we're and we're like spent all over the place and pink bike had the tightest budget in the world so we get the crappiest houses and stuff and there's never enough rooms plus all of the people in the north shore were invited to live or hang out in the apartments of the houses or the hotel rooms that we were trying to work in so there'd be like 55 people in there so Levy would walk into the hotel room or run and look for for where he's going to sleep. He'd just dash in and go, I got this place. And so usually, it wasn't a bedroom. It wasn't like the, the big double bed in the corner and stuff. It was a closet. He would he would find a big closet in these houses, and he would, like, stuff a, a bunch of pillows or, or steal a mattress, and he'd stuff it in there and run an extension cord out and put his computer in there. And we'd come back from these, from, like, the 
you know, the interbike or something like that. Or we come back from some, you know, park city, look at all of our bikes. We're too cool to go to interbike shows that were happening too. And, and the only time you see him when he was when he was on the bike or he's eating the rest of the time, he'd be, he'd be in his little tiny hole sleeping, you know, all curled up and stuff. So basically that was, that was my, <laughs> my biggest, my biggest laugh is if it can find a crawl space, if you're looking for Levy, that's where he'd be. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I have lots of good memories, like sleeping under stairs and sleeping in closets and stuff. But yeah, I'm not a social person. Like I know I look super, I, I am like quite outgoing and like I can have a normal conversation and stuff, but like dudes, like you, I want to be at home by myself like 99% of the time. I'm convinced it's what's made you so effective over the years is that when all of the other journos are still like at the event mm-hmm. talking to their bros trying to figure out where they're going to have you know drinks that night or drinks who's, who's, i don't think so yeah. <laughs> who's sushi am i going to eat tonight etc etc you left the you left the thing at like 1 p.m mm-hmm. you've got your stories done you've gotten your food you've gotten your second and third stories done and you're asleep by like yeah 9 p.m 10 p.m yeah i mostly just i really enjoy being by myself to be honest, like I'm not one of those, like I know people that they always got to be going out. They always got to be hanging out with their friends and stuff like networking. I could, yeah. Networking. Yeah. Like I could literally not hang out with anybody for months. Just like, you know, I got a couple people I ride bikes with my girlfriend too. Like I got my dogs. I don't need to go do anything else. Nothing. Yeah. All right, RC. Thank you for the stories. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much, RC. We had, absolutely amazing times together it was surreal to me that i got to work with you to be honest craziness just crazy but you know that's how it was for me it's like i i could i had gotten to the point where i could i could manipulate my life you know at mountain bike action i could take the, the jobs that i wanted to and and not take the jobs that that i didn't want or i could just hand off some of the cool stuff to somebody else but when i when i switched over to pink bike you know i was with Two just spectacular riders. I mean, you were like so far out of my out of my league in the technical stuff, and and I, I figured, man, I've, I've got to I've got to man up. I've got to really man up to stay with this guy. And you know, you were you you knew it. You said, "I have this guy." I'm like, hey, RC. <laughs> we were like in Sedona. You're like, RC. You think you can drop this? And you like, you know, and you'd be out, and I'm like. Yeah, I can do it. I'm thinking to myself, no, I can't do it. I go, yeah, yeah, no problem. I just, I, I learned that if it was a really big drop, there's nothing I could do anyway until I got to the bottom. So a couple times, I just roll over, pop the brakes off, roll over, and just shut my eyes and wait for the front wheel to hit the bottom. And, just, and you're like, I see, dude. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> RC, like, for for anybody for anybody listening out there. I have seen RC ride yes. some absolutely heinous shit in Sedona and in Pemberton. In Whistler, uh-huh. Whistler, that like, Whistler field test. Yeah, yeah. It, people listening, I guarantee you, a lot of you would not point your bike down the stuff that are, I've watched RC ride down. Agreed, agreed. Insane. Blown away in that one Whistler field test. That that big rock roll. That like horrible janky rock roll and you were i think you were turning what, what was it 65 you were turning 65 yeah, that, that year 65. yeah and 
And yeah, you that thing was just disgusting. Yeah. If I could ride half as well as RC at 65, I'd be pretty fucking stoked. Oh, you guys are going to be there. What, what cracked me up, though, is, you know, he makes it look easy. But no, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> he makes it like, hard. Boys, 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 boys. boys. Hard. I, 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 I just want to explain well, this. There's a difference between being uh, free and loose. Oh yeah. So like this is this is car like race car terminology, but so like I know Kaz is looking at me over here. Kaz thinks I'm loose, yes. like sketchy. Well, no, it's controlled. It's the most most controlled sketchiness I maybe have ever seen from anybody. I, I'll take that. Yeah. As a Levy has more moments per ride than yeah, but those moments most of them off. are on purpose because I got all sorts of stuff to say about this. <laughs> so f- there's there's free and there's loose. People who are loose eventually crash really hard you on the other hand have never crashed really hard i've definitely crashed very hard (laughs) but people who are free like they know the bike is moving you know and they know the bike's allowed to move underneath them but people who are loose they're not in control of that like looseness i would like to think that i'm usually in control of the looseness so you're like a free rider not a free rider. i mean yeah yeah actually yeah yeah. (laughs) oh lord okay rc thank you so much Great to hear your voice. All right. Thank well, you so much, sorry RC. Sorry you're leaving, but I know it's going to be good. It was great to work with you. We'll we'll definitely chat at some point soon. All right. We'll see you later, Levy. Bye, Kev. Bye, RC. Oh, RC. Oh, RC. Dudes, I grew up reading that guy. I know. It's crazy to me that like I got to work with him for so long. Yeah. He flew up to Chilliwack for his like job interview. Mm-hmm. We flew up to Vancouver and then drove to Chilliwack, and we went for a ride like in the snow, like however long ago this was, 10, 12 years ago crazy just it's yeah it's crazy to me yeah kaz you had something to add there no i was just thinking about the time rc hotwired your delica that the oh. i don't know if we talked about it on the podcast before but it's another rc moment where like you when we were doing these road trips down to sedona we'd drive usually some not very reliable vehicle typically levy's mitsubishi delica that super cold very very slow ice on the inside of the window yeah we'd wear sleeping bags while driving to stay warm but then one day we finished a ride in sedona and it wouldn't start and then somehow RC actually hotwired the thing and got it going again, like full on cut wires and connected it with a multi tool and a screwdriver. And yeah, 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 it was great. You, that actually reminds me one of my one of my best memories was with RC. It was a Magura press camp. We were in Sedona again, classic. There's so many really common themes uh, emerging here. Well, there's 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 been a lot of press camps in Sedona, <laughs> um, and it was going to be an eclipse. Mm-hmm. And I remember RC made some glasses. Ruthie Mathis was with us at the press camp. And I remember this is still very early days. So it was surreal. We were standing in a parking lot of a Chinese food restaurant in Sedona, watching the eclipse. Me, RC, and Ruthie Mathis with these cardboard glasses on that RC made. It was amazing. (laughs) So there's definitely a bunch of... I asked a bunch of people... To send some some Levy stories. Oh my god! Yeah, so I'm just, we're just gonna quick fire through them, and you can respond. <laughs> Nervous. Uh, well, I'm gonna start with Peter Valance, who um, doesn't actually have any stories. He literally just replied the words "turd photos." <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who don't know Peter, Peter is the d- director. No, a uh, GM of product. Big. Big dog at Cannondale. Literally big dog the at Cannondale. Dog. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, turd photos. How do you yeah. respond? 
Uh, check your texts, Peter. <laughs> well, Incoming. Why, why? Why do you send me and everybody so many poo photos? Why? You what, send me poo photos. You, those are my child's poo photos. Why and are you sending me? They're retaliation. The funny thing is, all these guys listening right now are like, "Oh, that's whatever." And then, but in the back of their head, they're like, "I'm gonna send my buddy a photo of my shit in an hour." <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next, let's go with uh, Max Barron mentions the Sedona beef burger incident of 2020. Oh, that was bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what happened? Uh, I hadn't been eating any meat for a while at that point. Not like super long. It might have been less than a year or somewhere around a year. And it was a some of these field test days. It's hard work. And we, were, we went out for dinner afterwards. We were all super hungry and tired. We go to this restaurant, Sedona. I ordered a veggie burger and the burger came and I took a bite and it wasn't a veggie burger. <laughs> but you noticed right away? Uh, I noticed after the first bite, like, I'm like, that's not, that's not uh, chickpeas or whatever the hell it was supposed to be. Um, and I was so, I would never do this now, but I was just like famished, not in a great mood. And I ate this damn meat burger. And the next day we were going home and we had this rental truck and we had to drive to Phoenix from Sedona. And I don't know, people, if you're listening and you don't eat meat for a year and then you eat like a huge greasy burger with all sorts of shit on it, it does bad things to your insides. Did you send Peter Valance a photo? Uh, no. <laughs> no, but I was controlling the window locks in the truck because I was driving. So nobody else had control of the window locks. And I mean, we all smell sometimes. We all make smellies. This was like, it f smelled like death. It smelled like something had crawled up my ass and died and like hung out there for a few months. And then I was just like pushing it out. It was gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's a theme uh, of these stories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Max also mentioned that there was a time where you guys filmed a whole welcome to field test video in a snowstorm. And then you had to reshoot the whole thing because your face was literally blue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then there's also something about Stefan and his peaches. Oh I don't, my God. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's, uh, yeah. Stefan is a filmer that works for Pink Bike. Um, and we'd actually looked into hiring him like a couple yeah. years ago, I think. Yep. Um, but it, it didn't work out. And then a year later, we ended up hiring Stefan. Um, Stefan, uh, he, his first real full time gig with us, I think he came to the field test in Quebec, which was amazing who would have thought honestly yeah. like totally. I, I would go back there to ride short travel bikes it was amazing um so but this is corona times and stefan got corona when he got there and we're at a field test so we got to like we have to do the things we're there for two weeks you know we've got some obligations we have to do so we can't like we can't get corona so poor stefan we said go downstairs stay in the basement stay in your room this poor kid poor stefan he stayed in his room for like like a week yeah, and I think all it was like he six ate days, yeah. yeah all he ate we would put peaches he just wanted sliced peaches and we would put them at the door and we didn't i don't think we realized that he wasn't coming out because we were going to film all day so we were gone at like eight in the morning come back at like five or whatever he wasn't he he was under the impression i think that we told him he wasn't allowed out of his room <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and we didn't know that and there was no windows in his room so he literally spent like six or seven days, this super sick kid, like super sweaty, just in this room, not allowed out, just hiding from us. I felt terrible. So you imprisoned a teenager in a basement for a week. 
I mean, I'm sure there's some sort of work laws. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he was really sick, though. <laughs> Peaches I didn't want to get Corona for like the seventh time. <laughs> uh, I think HR is going to have to have a talk with you. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, Bring it on, HR. <laughs> Kaz, you got one? Oh, I mean, there's so many stories. I don't even... Matt Beer had one about the time you tried to ride a gravel loop around Sun Peaks and then that oh, didn't work out man. and you had to catch a cab back. Oh <laughs> man, that was bad. So that was another field test and I brought my gravel bike with me because at that field test, I wasn't really testing a lot of bikes. I was there to host and do some other stuff. So I, I definitely had a bit of time. So I was going to do some other rides. And going into that, I had a huge summer of riding. Is that the one that I made you ride up a gravel road on batteries a bunch and your yeah, soul died? Stupid yeah. e-bikes. Yeah, sorry yes. about that. That's fine. <laughs> um, and I had, I think, got heat stroke a couple times within like less than a month. Like there was like some 40 Celsius days and like I was laying in a parking lot. Kaz, I told you about that. I was laying in, the, in a gas station parking lot, probably three kilometers from my home, pouring Coke on myself. It was not... I was not feeling good. So then a week later, less than a week, I go to this field test, bring my gravel bike, scope out this huge ride, 180K, like nine grand to climbing, pretty big ride. And we, I started at Sun Peak. So you descend down to the valley where Kamloops is and I'm descending down and down takes, takes like an hour to descend. I'm like, man, I don't feel fucking good. I'll ride into this. It's like, I can't get any power. My heart rate's super high for the power I'm putting on. I don't feel good. But you keep saying you're going to ride into this. Like, I'm being a stupid man at this point. I'm being a stupid guy. And I keep riding, I keep riding. And I'm like, looking at my computer, I'm like doing 150 watts. I can't put out anymore. And I eventually turn around, I go to a gas station and I call, it took taxi like two hours to get me. $150 taxi ride back up to Sun Peaks. <laughs> Dudes, I couldn't have ridden 10 more feet. And you know, the best part is I let this, I, uh, we're going up, we're close to the resort and I'm like, I don't want anybody to see me. So I make the taxi stop like, like two blocks below Sun Peaks, like proper where the parking lot is. And I get out and I put my wheels back on, <laughs> put my helmet on, ride back up to the apartment. But I mean, I'm not going to not tell anybody that I had that <laughs> gong show of an adventure. I have a good gong show story then. This one was at Crankworks. I don't know how many years ago now, maybe like seven or eight years ago, maybe even longer. I'm not good with time, but we're at Crankworks. We're sharing a room, some little tiny hotel room like we used to do. And uh, we'd gone out at night. I came and Levy was, Levy did his own thing. I did my own thing. So I go to back, go to go back to the hotel room. I open the door and on the ground, there's just blood. Like there's just blood, like a trail of blood leading from the door and it goes into the bathroom. There's vomit too, Cass. Yeah, well, I got into the bathroom and there's vomit and it's like, it's sake margarita vomit, which is like, like the one of the, the sushi village in Whistler has like a sake margarita, which is just like a daiquiri basically. So it's strawberry and poison. And like neither of us drinks a ton, but at this point, Levy obviously drank too much probably. And uh, so he had puked in the tub. So there's blood leading to the tub and then puke. And so I just basically, I saw that he was in his bed and his girlfriend was there and he was alive, but I just left the room and closed the door and then just like wandered around the village for a few more hours just to like sort out what had happened. And so what had happened is Levy doesn't like shoes at all. And somehow in his adventures, he's wearing flip-flops. He wears flip-flops like 12 months out of the year usually. He has shoes on now, but I don't know why. There's a story coming up about flip-flops. Yeah, okay. yeah. So he had been wearing flip-flops and somehow stepped on some broken glass somewhere in the Whistler village and then bled everywhere and then made his way back to the hotel room and then puked and then was there. And Dude, yeah, that was just a, a gong Lily, show. Lily was very disappointed. In how <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Lily was not a fan of that night. You know, I, I 
rarely drink. Yeah. Rarely. yeah. Both of us, I mean, we kind of talked about before, but neither of us really drinks much. Yeah. Mm. And I think the next Crankworks, my girlfriend came up with me and I got sick again. And she like rolled her ankle on some stairs and it was like 9.30 p.m. And I'm like vomiting in the hedges and like just, <laughs> yeah, I don't drink. Yeah. Booze is bad. No, yeah, don't drink. But that was a story I remember. I know the, the other ones are just mostly just good times riding, having like going to Taiwan, those early days going to Taiwan. We would go, I mean, both of us are from, we never thought we would be in Taiwan just in general. It's crazy. Yeah. And then so we crazy. flew to Taiwan, wandered around, going to weird night markets, eating crazy food and just... It was just like good adventures that I, I won't forget. There are some photos on Pink Bike that I encourage listeners to go and just poke around in some of the early photos of like Levy and Carl and maybe like Aaron LaRock was there yep. for some of them. Jordan Holmes, maybe. Jordan, I yeah, I think Jordan was there. Um, yeah, some very strange times yeah. in those photos. <laughs> Yeah. Go on, go on. Maybe we'll put some in this podcast. We should talk about Le- Levy's early riding days too. Like oh. free ride Levy is pretty good. Free ride Levy was good. like you were hitting there. I don't know if that picture's still around, but there's one of you on a short travel track hitting that big drop at Vetter, I think, or is it is it mm. Sumas? Uh it's, it's like near the, there, like Little Mountain or whatever. Yeah, but, near there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, those were very different times. I, I think anybody that does anything the same thing for a long time, like you go through stages with stuff. And I grew up like, like most people like racing XC and I raced downhill for a while. And then I realized I really fucking hated racing. Like literally like so stressed and so anxious. And I, so I think I got like a Norco VPS and I got a Z1, Marzocchi Z1. I put on the front of it and I had one of those Tioga couch seats and I just was free rider for a long time. We were doing, dude, Wayne and I, we're lucky to be alive. You know, like I know everybody, like I hate the way back thing. Yeah, the older like, you get, the better you were, kind of thing. Yeah, right. no, but, but you like, were hitting yeah. proper size yeah. things. Like so I know we, what you were doing. It wasn't small. Like yeah, we were. We'd watch like North Shore Extreme. We'd watch those early New World Disorder movies, and then Wayne and I would go out and we would build something similar in the bush, and we would both be the one that would want to try to hit it first. And we'd be like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do a run up. I'm just gonna do a run up," and then like you'd hit it, so you'd be that you'd hit it before him. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So we got a bunch of industry people, uh, like journos, mm. had things to say. Not a su- surprise. Like Tyler Benedict from Bike Rumor, uh, he he said he had nothing wild and crazy uh, that would make for exciting pod listening. But I do want to say what a genuinely nice guy he is, which was a surprise for him the first time he really got talking to you. He said, "All the tattoos gave me a different impression. First impression for sure." Also, Sarah is a much bigger badass than he is. That is all correct. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then who else do I have? We've got uh, Francis Sabato, also no incriminating stories. Uh, Francis is uh, the founder founder of MTBR. MTBR. And now has... Legend. Yeah. Now has uh, Electric Mountain Bike Review. Which I visit all the time because I love RC trucks. <laughs> and then he does his, he has a whole other thing on RC trucks. So that's his big business now. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, he also didn't have any incriminating stories. Um, but he uh, he always admired your riding and he could descend, how you could descend and play with the bike. And as he switched from sort of XC to trying to learn to descend better, you then went and like beat him at his own game, got skinny and exceed the hell out of things. Um, so you guys kind of converged. Um, and then he says, now every time he sees you, you guys have good solid 
uh, conversations like a bunch of crusty old kooks, which yeah. is... I just, uh, he was in yeah. Taiwan for the last show yep. in February. We hung out. It was great. Yeah. It was good to see him, hey? Yeah. Um, I know you felt a lot of pride in beating him at carts. <laughs> <laughs> Smashed him. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, Seb Kemp. Yeah. He has a story that might sound pretty familiar at this point. Um, the first press camp he met you, he, I think he was, was he NSMB at the time, 2011? I think it was NSMB. Maybe it was pre-NSMB. Or Bike Mag. Maybe Bike Mag. Yeah. Um, it was. Anyways, it was for SRAM XO in 2011 at Rutherford. And he remembers that you wanted to like mark the trail like an alpha chimp. And you looped out super, super hard showboating. Uh, like fully inverted. And all he says he can rem- all he can remember is the whites of your eyes. And he was like right behind you and your eyes were just saucers. Was that in Whistler? It was in, he says Rutherford. I don't know where Rutherford Me is. Me neither. Yeah. So, um, speaking of looping out, I think he's talking about the XO press camp. It was a three-day press camp. And Taylor Sage was filming us. And there we were coming down at the end of a trail. And there was like a like the exit to the trail. You come down straight down. You go real oh, fast. Pemberton. Yeah, Pemberton. Yeah, Pemberton. Yeah. So yeah, you're talking about the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And you, you'd exit this trail, you come up real fast, and there's this huge gravel hill that you would like go, you're like, you're, you're going like 60 kilometers an hour. You hit this hill, you go flying up the hill, and there was like a jump. But it's super mellow thing, like you're jumping up sort of thing. And I remember somebody was in front of me, Kyle Strait, never, it's never good to follow a pro. <laughs> um, and I came down that thing just as fast as Kyle did. And I hit this jump and yeah, like not just looped out boys, but like literally did a backflip. I remember the tire for this bike, whatever bike it was, it burned a hole through my shorts, (laughs) (laughs) knocked the wind out of me. And I remember Taylor, he used to film stuff for SRAM. He was a great shit talker. I don't think I heard about, I didn't hear the end of that for years. (laughs) It was probably one of the most embarrassing things I've done on a bike. Uh, I've done some embarrassing things. Yeah, that sounds... <laughs> um, Palmer, Ryan Palmer, yeah. sent a message. Uh, he remembers me. He didn't have anything, like, no, again... All not... my incriminating stuff, I don't tell anybody. I'm yeah. super private. Yeah, that's a good way to be. Well, yeah, you don't what... want anybody knowing anything. Yeah. He did say that, like, uh, Fox Media in Hood River 2013 was when he met you. And he he said he was brand new to the scene and you were super welcoming. Like it was not, not again, not what he expected. Um, and then he says, oh yeah, a couple, a couple years later at Crankworks, you were trying to get all the mountain bike media clowns together for a ride, which was an awesome and super considerate idea. But then the whole thing fell apart when you refused to ride a chairlift. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, 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 we're not going to go like right top of the world or something. There's like Levy's plan. He's like, I don't want to go on a chairlift. Like, ah. Uh-huh. Oh. I want to go mountain biking, boys. <laughs> uh, yeah, it didn't, didn't work out. Yeah, yeah you're, effort. you're like in Whistler, Crankworks Whistler yeah. with, a, with a scalpel. Well, so I, I have this stupid thing where I have to be... Um, not the opposite, but like disagreeable about stuff. So like when we go to Crankworks, there's many years, like five years, I didn't get on a chairlift mm-hmm. and I'd be in Crankworks. Like I have a pass if I want it. And I just, no, nah, I'm going to go pedal my bike. I just want to do what the people aren't doing. Yeah. I mean, you also get really squirrely about pedaling at, in Whistler. You like the first ever field, the official field test, Levy insisted on 
dark crystal being the test lab and i and i was like no we should use this shorter thing it's like right behind the house it's a lot easier logistically you have to get a certain number of laps in on each of these bikes to, i did the laps yeah yeah, <laughs> you, no, did. yeah. you burned yourself out so hard <laughs> it was like oh great levy did did all the stuff in time and then like wasn't useful at his job for like two months in recovery i, I want to say it was like 5200 feet of cl- no no it wasn't it was like 4800 feet of climbing every day for like 11 days in a row or something yeah. like that before we had to film which i was just destroyed for and i had a broken ankle during that time too. No. cats had a broken back yeah i wasn't well i was gravel riding basically but yeah. yeah yeah it was a rough field test for me damn it leafy like just it, do the thing that makes sense i that i like the climb that climb is awesome climb yep and i like the trail so it just like yeah i mean in hindsight yeah that yeah. was not the yeah, best well. One of your traits. You just get fixated on things. And when you like it, you just repeat. Yeah. Which makes sense. And that's what I do, though. Like, especially like with that climb up the gravel road, because then I have something to compare it to. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, I did X. I yeah. need to do this time. Yeah. The um, Okay. We've got some from Alicia. Mm. Uh, Alicia says, my favorite Levy time happened the night that Henry died on lots of mushrooms at the end of my first field test. Levy and I were both at our antisocial baselines and skipped the party but still wanted to have a nice, memorable evening, I guess. So naturally, when Levy invited me to go look for aliens, I was all for it. <laughs> uh, it was I, it was my first time meeting everybody, except I'd met Kaz at Sea Otter a couple weeks earlier, so I was pretty anxious and neurotic, just really trying to feel relaxed hanging out with everybody. Going and walking around in the woods with Levy while staring at the sky uh, for the night seemed ideal. We wandered, eventually found a clearing where we sat and stared up and hoped really hard and continued to see only stars eventually we gave up and walked back the tiniest bit disappointing on one hand but also a total success because it was a cool step into the pink bike world cool to start feeling like i had some common ground with everybody Levy was great so easy to be around and interested in talking about this alien thing he's excited about the next morning we all heard about henry's big adventure it was a good night yeah that was a good night we didn't we didn't see a ufo but i remember that i remember at like three in the morning henry was inside the rental house mm-hmm. standing at the patio door knocking on the glass saying mike let me in let me in so he was trying to get out and he was saying help let me in let me in <laughs> no the second story alicia sent i'm not gonna mention and then the third story <laughs> <laughs> The second story is just all of Crankworks 2022. And then uh, her, Alicia's final one is that uh, thrift shopping uh, a day, thrift shopping with you at the Tucson field test. Yeah. Going around to all the thrift shops and trying on some spectacular outfits. Um, She says, we all went home winners. Yeah, that was an amazing test. Tucson field test. I don't think I've ever ridden worse in my life. Those are those budget bikes. Oh yeah, those are some tricky trails, but that and was a good test though. They're it was, just, a, it like, was an amazing trip, but that was I found that to be quite hard. Yeah, but then we get to go to the Air Museum. Oh, dude, I yeah, love that, that shit. Yeah, yeah, that was incredible. Uh, Tom Richards mentioned Sun Peaks again. Um, just the wandering around late at night when I don't. We didn't mention this before, but like the whole uh, the whole village had been evacuated yep. for forest fires, and everything was just like eerie and terrifying and. It was like very a, strange. Like a zombie movie. All the lights yeah. were on. Yeah. Nobody there. All these X's on the doors to yeah. make sure nobody was in there and stuff. And at night, we would walk up to this high point just above the resort and look down and you could see this huge fire 
just like burning up towards this like abandoned not abandoned but like completely empty resort and it was mm-hmm. just us there filming it was surreal i have i have two stories of my own for you okay the first one isn't really a story so much as a theme in that my first six months at pink bike basically most of my job was talking to people in the industry and and telling them why I wasn't going to fire you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it was like, it was literally, it was like, welcome, welcome to Pink Bike, Brian. You need to talk all these people off a ledge. Did I deserve to get fired? No. Oh, good. No. The industry is, I mean, the mountain bike outdoor world in general is like very thin skinned. And yeah. it's, there's a transition period from, you know, as media's change and as media itself changes, like, and I mean, some of the things that people were mad about, you were right about. They were just mad. Yeah. Um, and you probably didn't communicate as well as you could I'm have. not a good communicator. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> I but, am not. And then the other one, I would say I, possibly a top top three day in my life uh, was scootering in mm. Taiwan. Yeah. That was an incredible day. Well, and to set the state, like before, actually, to set, so we went to Taipei Show 2018, I think. I don't know. And we had a good show. Everything was fine. We rode some uh, weird side-by-side bikes with like jolting hubs and stuff. We saw a guy who was from the future who was, he was a journalist with a camera and he was zooming around the outdoor demo on like a hoverboard. Mm -hmm. That was sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyways, the show was done and we'd booked a few days on the East Coast of Taiwan just to have a little vacation, you, me, and Alan Crisp. And we went to Hualien. And we went scootering and it was insane. It was, I so was that was incredible. So Turo, Turoko Gorge, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing yeah. it right. Uh, so this is the area where they do that big Taiwanese KOM climb KOM, race, KOM I think. Yeah. KOM challenge. I would kill to do that race. Um, but we rented these scooters. Do you want to play at Velo? And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we rented these scooters, and yeah, it was just the three of us, and it was a race course. You two were racing. I was a little. Uh, I I was I didn't want to die. I was wearing sandals. Yeah, you were. Yeah. And I was trying to keep up to Alan Crisp, and, and we, he's very fast. We were going like I'm happy that I look back at that, and I'm like I'm glad I did because that's how tourists like lose arms and legs yeah. and die like in foreign countries. Yeah. Those, we were rigging those scooters out around that mountain road. So the thing with the mountain road is it had those mirrors. Oh, yeah. So you could see what was coming around the corner, you know? Anyways, took forever to get to the top, freezing cold up there. It was incredible. It was so good. It was, And it's beautiful there. It's, yeah. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Taiwan is, I would say, the my favorite thing about all of the years at Pig Bike. Getting to go to Taiwan. Yeah. It's my favorite place in the world. I've, you know, we've been to Europe a ton. You know mm-hmm. what's in Europe? A whole bunch of white, rude people and $9 bottles of water. And no internet. And terrible internet. Lots of amazing history and stuff. Don't get me wrong. Europe's amazing. <laughs> I'm just, calm down, everybody. Calm down, Klaus. I know you're mad. But you go to Taiwan and it's, or China too. It's just so different. It's just so interesting. Everybody is incredibly nice. Yeah. God, I would, yeah. Jason had a story about Taipei Show. For you about how many times you got kicked out of the show because you refused to wear closed-toed shoes yeah so i'm not the, wearing shoes it's like 30 celsius the, the taipei show there's some rule in that building that you have to wear shoes anyways like you 
sneak in and then you get like chased by security and then one day you missed a bunch of appointments because they wouldn't let you in yeah because yeah. <laughs> the they have the security at every entrance to each hall so i would just go to a different entrance yeah. each time there's like eight entrances or whatever but eventually yeah they wouldn't yeah. let me in he also and people might be seeing some like patterns here jason also has a memory about you looping out on a wheelie and that multi-tool that rc mentioned earlier you fell directly onto it yeah. It was in your bibs and it like wrecked your spine for a long time. I still have a crazy bump in that spot. I I thought I broke, I had to go to the hospital and they like injected me with like very strong drugs. I was almost in tears. That big brick of a... Uh, uh, I know. It. Yeah. It's like the size of a, a brick. It's like an actual brick tool. And I looped out because I was rocking those HT pedals, which had to be set like insanely tight. Oh, yeah, like I, I almost couldn't get out of them. Yeah. Going back to BCBR, Dre also says he's going to miss you. Um, this is all in messages. He says the photo of you with your like concussed eyes and face full of dirt at BCBRs, one of the best photos of you. Cause it's like just very, you always giving 110%, you know, like um, I said, those, those years at BCBR, if anybody, yeah. I know it's crazy expensive, but like that was the best. Yeah. The absolute best. Hey, since we're talking about Dre, I just want everybody... I know I've said this before. Dre said down country. Yeah, Dre did say down country. Not the, me. Yeah. I know I've said this many times before, but he's the one who... who he coined it. Yeah, yeah, he coined it. Andreas Hessler. And he really embodies it too, to be fair. Yes, right? very like, much. Former Olympian, absolute destroyer on a bike. Beast. But I never did beat him at the BC Bike Race. What a close shocker. a couple times. Yeah. What a shocker. Real close. <laughs> That's actually a pretty... I would... I'd lead with that in a conversation. Mm-hmm. I almost beat Dre at BCBR. There was one stage where I was less than a minute behind. The longest, that longest stage. Dre, if you're listening. I was looking for you this year. It's going to be our Mike versus Mike. I know. I, know. I would have ended you, Kaz. You would not have, you would have, not no, have ridden bikes again. Not. No, you, <laughs> no. Had, you don't understand. You would have hated bikes. No. You would have said, oh, I'm done. You. I'm going, I'm going to be a knitter. No, I got you. Maybe this next year we can do. <laughs> can somebody do the math on their times and their historical times? Well, it's different. It's different. Doesn't work out. Every year, oh, yeah. BCBR courses go. get shorter. Yeah, it was pretty short this year, but it's fun. Hmm. It'll happen eventually. Okay, Tippy has a story, but I wrote C audio file so to find it. <laughs> I remember traveling around Europe with Tippy for a week, way back when. That's a lot of Tippy. That think, was amazing. I think that might be the, what he's got stories about. Hi everybody, how's it going? Brett Tippy here. A Mike Levy story, eh? <laughs> well, I've had the pleasure of working with Mike for years at Pink Bike, and I have a lot of stories, but I gotta say my favorite one was in 2011 when we were at Eurobike, and we were partying after the show, and at one point we went to leave, and he went to his hotel, and I went to leave, and the only way I had an address for my hotel was on a... Uh, book of matches and some ladies asked for a light on my way out to where the cabs and I gave them the matches to use and then they kind of disappeared and I had no way of figuring out where my hotel was I couldn't remember the name of it the address of it so I was at that club or bar for hours and hours till I finally ran into someone who knew where the hotel was so I raced home in a cab grabbed my stuff raced back to Eurobike where I was getting a ride with Carl Burlcat and Julian Coffey, Carl being one of the former owners of Pink Bike and Julian Coffey, the former publisher, and Mike Levy and I in the back seat. And then we drove to Champry, where they had the World Championships. 
uh, of downhill. And that was the year that Danny Hart did his amazing rain run. But on the way, Mike and I would lean forward and turn on the heat seaters for Carl and Julian in the front seat. And it's quite warm, and they are getting super, super uncomfortable with, like, sweaty balls. And we're, like, shifting around on their seats until they realize that the heat seaters are on. And then they turn them off, and then Mike and I would, like, giggle in the back. And then we'd turn them on again, and they didn't realize. And they'd, they'd get sweaty balls and get all uncomfortable. And they kept turning off the seat heaters until they realized it was us in the back seat. And then they were on to us, so they busted us. And then we'd lean forward and just kind of like reach out with our feet and doing, turn on the seats with our toes without them realizing it. And they were so mad at us and so uncomfortable with total swalls, which is another word for sweaty balls. And uh, uh, we just kept doing it, giggling like kids in the back. We wouldn't stop. So they ended up driving, guarding the buttons so that we wouldn't get them. And it was a quite a long drive, and I was all sleep-deprived, and I was talking, telling jokes, and babbling away the whole time until the last 10 minutes, and I fell asleep. And it was quite twisty going up the final climb towards Champerie, and I was swaying back and forth, like, uh, you know, asleep. And Julian got the momentum going back and forth. He ended up making me skip my head off the side window. Boom! <laughs> Which woke me up, and then we got there. And uh, it was like full action, go time as soon as we got there. And Mike and I went to work doing some media. And uh, it was a, a pretty good laugh, pretty, pretty funny times. Um, Mike's been a great guy, great to work with him. And I wish him luck in his next venture. And uh, hopefully he comes back to the media world to work with us at Pink Bike again. Good times, Mike. And have a good one, everybody. I do remember... That, that was a long trip. <laughs> I think we spent two weeks in total in Europe, I think. And I want to say that's the trip that we also got to lap the Nuremberg ring, which for me was... Oh, sick. In our rental car was absolutely insane. It was so cool to see. That is cool. Yeah. Uh, I've also got an audio file from Tyler, from oh. Tyler Maine. So I haven't listened to this either. Hey. My name is Tyler Main, a.k.a. Brule, for those of you who knew me on Pink Bike. And I've known Mike Levy since before. That was his name. Going on close to 20 years now. I just moved to Chilliwack to live, work at the Pink Bike offices alongside Radic Burkhat. And Mike worked down the road, turning wrenches for pedal sport, bikes and stuff. Mike was one of the first people that I had met and got to go ride with. He was keen to show a new guy around, better's amazing trails, and back then he was always down for a shuttle. Getting to know Mike was... Free ride Levy. <laughs> different different times, everybody. <laughs> Getting to know someone that really didn't sweat the small stuff. Rub all the paint on a new bike's down tube on your first shuttle. That's part of paying the dues for shuttling. This is when he still had to pay for his bikes. Mike is a bike geek, and that's what helped connect all of us, these awesome two-wheelers. As Pink Bike grew, Jordan Holmes came on as a doer of all things, but we still needed someone that could ride amongst the best media and then put those thoughts and words to digital format. This is where Mike and his skills came in. Even if it was one finger pecking at a time, he was our guy, and we were going to send him around the world. I can confirm. That is how Levy has written everything. Uh, it's amazing you're as fast as you are. I can peck so fast. I'm such a fast pecker. <laughs> Levy is a fast pecker. I feel like that's a tattoo or a t-shirt or something. At this time, the media landscape was changing and us in digital media were frowned upon by those in print. 
What we were doing hadn't been done prior in MTV Media. We were turning around stories that same day. Here we were, Radic, Carl, Jordan, Mike, and I. We were making it up as we went. And it turns out we were doing it right. Or right-ish. The early days of traveling in Radic's mom's van to Sea Otter, loaded down with bikes, laptops, cameras, and the want to find the newest thing, report on it, share it, and go riding. Eventually we grew, and the parents' van was replaced with flights to events, but the desire to get the scoop first was what set Mike and Pinkbike ahead. The best stories from my time working with Mike, they likely can't be published, but I'd like to thank him for taking a risk and coming to work at the Little Mountain Bike Media Startup on Railway Avenue in Chilliwack, B.C. Those beginnings changed all of our lives, and we still like bikes, so I'd say that we did it right-ish. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I, oh, oh, nice. I I have to say, like like I said earlier, like Tyler is the reason that we're here. Yep. You know, he kept Pink Bike moving. If without Tyler Maine, there would be no Pink Bike. Um, yeah, I had crazy times with Tyler. He put up with so much shit from Casimir and I, uh, mostly yeah. me, but Casimir yeah, too a little bit. <laughs> like this guy, like just so much patience. Kaz, do you remember he would run like all the news? Yeah, mm-hmm. he'd put up everything. For Literally him. everything. And all he wanted us to do was have like one day a week where you and I would look after some other things. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to have a meeting. And we said, no, we're too busy. We're testing bikes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we did test like one pair of grips. And then, but we wouldn't, didn't even have time to yeah meet with him once a week because that was going to be a big cramp yeah. our style. And yeah, yeah, no, super patient. Awesome. Nice guys. So. Yeah. Worked like crazy hours too back in the day doing yeah. that. This was like back when Pink Bike was we didn't know what we were doing like we were selling dvds i mean we had a sticker machine like we were we were super excited because we got a sticker machine i feel like we should buy another sticker machine i am all for sticker machines yeah. i love it i'll put it in the 24 budget excellent <laughs> well in that case maybe i won't leave <laughs> we'll pay you in stickers <laughs> uh, this is like one of those things where the where the businessmen go like oh yeah like it's just a pool machine and like the kombucha taps like that's what people want yeah. that's what our employees want yeah um going from Going from Tyler, yeah, uh, we're gonna go to Rochelle. Rochelle has a message. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. yeah, amazing. Yeah, so Rochelle says, "Oh, Levy, you're so weird and so good. It wouldn't be fair or legally advised to mention the weird stuff. So I'll thank you for the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like the time you smashed three Red Bulls and stayed on the phone with me for hours writing a suspension article that was way out of my league. Uh, thank you, bon chance." And bon voyage, you little weirdo. (laughs) I loved working with her so much. Yeah. She brought so much to Pink Bike. Yeah. She's great. But now she's in Medina, though. So I want to go down there and visit. Oh, yeah. Tasmania looks sweet. Yeah. Um, Who else? Dustin Adams says goodbye and good luck. Um, it reminded me of the like 300 times when you got turned around on the, the, uh, uh, Co- was it Coquihalla? Yeah, trying to get out there in your oh, stupid yeah. car. Yeah, I think he was frustrated with that. <laughs> he was frustrated. I, hey, yeah. you got it done eventually. It, you did eventually write that story. <laughs> <laughs> story of my life. Yeah. Jake, uh, Jake Moritz yep. um, says hi. He, uh, he, his only real story is that uh, he had uh, this 1960s Mini Cooper and he had dreams of putting a Honda motor in it. Oh, don't do that. It's nothing but trouble. <laughs> and he, he, yeah, he bought the motor and he was like educating himself watching uh, this build series on YouTube featuring a shop in Vancouver. And like the, he knows Levy at this time. Like we're working together 
and they did this like big reveal of their civic powered mini and then it turned out to be levy's yeah <laughs> and i'm pretty sure that uh he just said this thing is fucked over and over and over <laughs> <laughs> that car I am scary car. glad I do not own that <laughs> car. It was a lot of fun, but yeah, I'm glad to be alive still. Yeah. Okay, we're coming up on, there's only two more people. So the first one is Sarah Moore. Hmm. Um, she's coming back. Next Sarah week. Moore is too good for all of you guys. I agree. Uh, but yeah, the hell is so she doing hanging out with you? <laughs> we're very excited to have her back next week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, she has a story coming back from Quebec field trip last year. Um, he had a good one about picking up a bike, oh. the same bag, different bike at the airport. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, there's way more to it than that. It involves drugs again. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, she says, he's super scared of flying. So he had a terrible flight back before that. Is that, is that yeah, what you're talking yeah, about? That's yeah, that's accurate. Okay. Yeah, so I had to bring a bike back with me from Quebec, which is fine. It was in a Evo bag or whatever, a red Evo bag. And I, I have some drugs that help me with flying. But you... you no, you're only supposed to take a certain amount of them, but I like panic and I took too much and I got super sick again. Um, and so we land in Vancouver and like, I've been quite sick, quite ill. And I'm like sitting on the floor outside of the baggage carousel. And, um, I see the, this red bag come out bike bag. It's a, I don't know, red bag. I'm like out of it, super out of it on prescription drugs. And, I just grab the bag and I like drag it outside. My girlfriend's waiting for me. Like we got to get home. Dude, that drive home, she had to pull over twice. I was like vomiting and stuff and the highway was closed. It was such a gong show. I get home. I just, like I said, I'm sick. I drag this bike bag into the shop, throw it in there. Like I don't give a fuck. Like at this point, like I'm going to bed for two days. Some days later I come out. I'm like, I got to figure out what bike this is and like sort of what's going on here and build this bike. Open the bag. It's somebody's commensal <laughs> with a bunch of with a bunch of unreleased SRAM um, flight attendant stuff on it, like with no decals and like it's got like etched serial numbers in it and things like that. And I'm like, didn't I? I thought I brought home a BMC or something. Like, what's going on here? And I'm start thinking like, how high was I? Like, you know, what did I miss like a month? <laughs> like, what trip did this is from? And eventually, uh, I figured out the bike was a SRAM employee that was flying up from Colorado to Crankworks. I don't remember how I figured that out. Um, and yeah, I drove up to Crankworks and met this guy. And no, I realized it was like some pre-production stuff on there and i think i took some photos of it and i sent photos to chris mandel maybe and he was like oh yeah what's going on here you know <laughs> and we figured out who it was and i got his bike back to him did you I, get your bike back i think so i don't know it's a test bike i don't care <laughs> shit uh sarah moore also mentioned uh at one of the early efficiency tests where your uh your prowess with electronics was on full display and you got so mad at the at the head unit on the pedals the power meter pedals that you just like threw everything on the ground and it all broke and then you had to like tell me that it all broke <laughs> i mean it was broken before i hit it it wasn't working already <laughs> i i have something going on with electronics dudes like anything i touch with like a computer chip weird things happen to it they're mm -hmm. like they and that was garbage also <laughs> that i have ptsd from that efficiency test that was insane we should also uh, for i don't know if we've mentioned this in previous podcasts 
we keep saying Sarah. Sarah Moore is the Pink Bike employee. Sarah Lucas is your girlfriend. Yes. They're not the same person. Yeah. No. And Wayne is real. And Wayne is real. <laughs> we should get t-shirts just as Wayne is real. I like that. <laughs> My buddy Wayne. He's real. He's <laughs> like Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like Wayne has ridden. I was telling this to Brian earlier. Wayne is just this guy in Chilliwack. He has ridden some of the most ridiculous bikes. Yeah. Like new fancy bikes every other month. Yeah. Putting in, putting in miles. Yeah. It's important. The, uh, Sarah also mentions the, you trying to, you pretending or trying to speak French, ordering Tim Hortons uh, that wasn't, and stuff. Let's that see. wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that went over super well. Yeah. Sarah is French. Yes. Thank the Lord. So she was very nice to have in Quebec <laughs> yeah. where the French people are. And I think probably the best one is, uh, Sarah has a story about when she was driving to the airport last year and with you and, uh, you she told you that uh, she was pregnant and your reaction to her pregnancy was wait on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, yeah, (laughs) like I get it. That's cool. Congratulations. (laughs) Um, I'm uh, not a kid guy. I'm a dog guy. That's fair. And then Radic, uh, Radic has a gift for you. Radic made you a website. Oh my Lord. Do you know where the aliens are? I do. Join me and find out. It's pinkmartian.com. Oh, look at that photo of you Chubby Mike there. with mm-hmm. the shants. Yeah, the shants sandals and on. the sandals. That's, that is accurate, Mike, for like, you know, eight years ago. And then you, if you sign up, it tells you... That's all- a stupid user. To, I would say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or... Come on, even Corey's mom could pick a better name. <laughs> That goes, we won't talk about Corey's mom, but that goes way back. There's a lot, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good, uh, username, not good enough. What are you from Chilliwack? Try again. So everybody should go to pinkmartian.com and try to register for this. (laughs) (laughs) See a classic photo of me as well. It's solid. (laughs) Anyways, we're at an hour and 40 minutes, which is ridiculous. Um, yeah, man. It's been Are we not going to talk about aliens? Oh, you want to talk about aliens? Yeah. Oh, I was going to get all emotional and end up... Yeah, aliens probably better than that. I think so. <laughs> Kaz wants to leave now. <laughs> Kaz is pulling the shoot. No, I like aliens. I don't believe in them, but I like yeah. hearing you talk about them. You are insane, Kaz. <laughs> you are so far behind now. <laughs> I've, I've missed out on a lot of YouTube alien videos. I know. <laughs> Levy sends me probably once a week. No, once every two weeks. Do you- a video and i watch mo- most of them yeah but sometimes it's like four hours long and i'm like just get to, just give me the cole's notes like just i want to send you about 10 times as much as i do i believe that yeah do you did you see what happened today i don't know when this is going to come out but news about the cia's recovery program yes their global what's it called global access program something or other the shit's real fucking they have this stuff for the people that are that wonder every time we Levy talks about aliens, like, is it a bit? Is it not a bit? Like, is this a running joke? It's not a running joke. No. Levy's really into it. I think it's cool. Yeah, I think we're on the it's cool side and shrug our shoulders, but Levy's like so deep in it. My perspective is a little bit different because I've seen some crazy shit, especially when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Have, have I ever told you, Cass? I don't know. No, tell me about when you saw aliens for the first time. Yeah, I didn't. First off, aliens would be the most boring answer. Yeah. That's like the most, like it would be amazing if it was aliens, but that's like the most prosaic answer, you know, like, um, could be all sorts of stuff. But when I was like eight or nine years old, I woke up 
in my bed on my back with my arms crossed in front of me and the bed was up against the window so it had no headboard but like the headboard would be up against the window kind of thing and i woke up looking up outside of the window and there was like a black triangle with three blue lights on it and it told me to go to sleep in my head fucking crazy now i know people listening like kaz has this like grin on his face but this is not an uncommon thing that's the crazy thing i'm mostly terrified what a horrifying way to orient your bed like just up out a window i mean <laughs> yeah it's almost... just look up and out well okay, so you can see the outside it's like nice that. to see outside yeah. and this but this thing was hovering or whatever it was doing was just above my trees and in my head it told me to go to sleep and i literally went to sleep first off what kind of eight or nine year old wakes up on their back with their arms crossed in front of them there's a prominent mountain bike personality former mountain bike personality who i've been at some events with and i don't know why but he was sleeping at some point yeah and he literally sleeps like he's in a coffin yeah that's it's weird. <laughs> it's so weird that is strange so that is obviously i've one of the very strange experiences and around that time there's lots of other weird experiences especially at night um dude kaz i've seen some crazy shit in the forest uh, should i tell my bigfoot story for everybody yeah yes. probably I mean, we, gonna, yeah 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 okay so um i don't necessarily first off i don't necessarily believe that there's like an ape man walking around in the forest it doesn't have to be like that that's like a thing that so anyways we used to go to this lake all the time, Hicks Lake when we were young. Uh, our parents would literally drive us there. It's like 45 minutes away and they would just drop us off and leave us all day. Like imagine that now. <laughs> we were just kids. That's what I'm going to do with James. That's like, the way that it should be. Dude. Yeah. Um, and we used to do this all the time in the summer. So they drop us off. Uh, and this particular time we had his dad's um, windsurfing board with us because there's an island in Hicks Lake and we wanted to go to this island. So we get on the board, we paddle the island, do the thing. And then we're like, oh, let's go to the other side. We paddle to the other side of the lake where at this time, no trail goes to it. And there's like all these reeds and stuff. And we kind of paddle in, we get off the surfboard or the windsurfing board. We walk in maybe a hundred feet, two kids looking for frogs, snakes, doing kid stuff. And we see walking in front of us, Something brown on hind legs, on his back legs, upright, I should say, actually, eight, nine feet tall, I don't know, walking perpendicular to us pretty quickly. And it's maybe, geez, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't know exactly, but maybe like 50 to 70 feet away, maybe less, I don't know. And th that's not the strange part. The strange part is two 12-year-old boys who love everything to do with outside don't say anything to each other. We look at each other, we turn around, we walk slowly back to the windsurf board, we get on the windsurf board, we paddle back across the lake without saying a word. We don't say anything. We never talk about it again. I don't remember the rest of that day. We literally never spoke about it again. So my point is, is like, that's not normal. Like two kids, let's say two kids see a deer. And I know bears walk on hind legs. Like I know all of this stuff. It very well could have been a bear, but it definitely wasn't a bear. Um, what kind of 12-year-old boys who live outside see something like that and never, ever talk about it again, even if it was a deer or a bear, you would be like, whoa, we never spoke about it again, which is something that goes with this 
weirdness with the strangeness that goes along with all of this stuff you know there's a lot of that like it's not just feeling like you didn't want to talk about it it was like you're supposed to not see that you know it was crazy delete 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 yeah exactly so i mean when you see stuff like that when you're young you're like what the fuck is that and I've always been super interested in all sorts of stuff. Like I remember being a little kid and like finding books on like the Knights Templar and things like that. And like as a kid and reading novels as a kid on that stuff. And like, man, the world is way stranger. If you think like this is what it is just now, what you see, like not so much. <laughs> I, I've always really enjoyed your like intersection of practical, no nonsense, uh, rational, whatever. And then like, yeah, whimsical big oh, imaginative yeah. like open to possibilities there's nothing thing. rational about this world that yeah. that like we see all all the stereotypes you know we see so little we can only see like a sliver of what's happening so much more is going on out there and like yeah crazy stuff derailers <laughs> ghosts you know since since we're talking about ufos brian i'm gonna go off on a little tangent here because i'm not sure when this podcast is going to come out but if we're going to talk about ufos i would be i would feel irresponsible if i didn't talk about these four people who are keeping this shit down right now congressmen in the states who are actively kaz is giving me the fucking side (laughs) eye i love it that's so good (laughs) these people they're actively working to keep this information from us which is our information you know it's the knowledge of these things being out there is our knowledge. It's not theirs. Like obviously there's stuff with this technology that like I shouldn't be allowed to fly a UFO around or whatever, you know, like I disagree. I'm down for leaving <laughs> yeah. getting a UFO machine. Well, the, the common example is like, we know there are nuclear bombs and we know there are nuclear power plants and you know we have a general idea of how it works but like i'm not allowed to build a nuclear bomb i don't have the ability to like it's the same thing like this knowledge is for all of us this knowledge is not for just it's not even the government that's the problem it's a part of the government that is keeping this from us and we're seeing this stuff come out now and you know i usually like i didn't talk about ufo stuff a lot because i get super excited about it Mm-hmm. And I get like super carried away for sure. And I don't think that brings anything to the subject. I think mm-hmm. you have to be like pretty level headed about this stuff because you have people who I mean, people can believe what they want. I used to be like, I have to, I used to think I had to try to convince, you know, guys like Kaz that like something is going on. But nowadays with all this happening, like people who, people who are still at the point where they're thinking nothing is happening, dudes, if that's you, you are so far behind we're at a point now where we need to know what is it that's happening you know <laughs> i don't know how to respond to this yeah i know you know Kaz, <laughs> it's great though no i like it Kaz, listen this subject like i know you you are interested in all sorts of things like how yeah. can you not be interested in this because i have lots of other things to keep me busy this is more important than world events this is more important than many crazy things that are happening in the world right now is it more important than the model year 2024 colorways i don't give a fuck (laughs) about that dude like (laughs) but but no seriously i mean i think i don't know i think i'm in the place where i'm excited and interested and super open to whatever but nothing that you've none of the links you've sent me have uh have pushed me over to any sort of like 
definitely this or definitely that. Oh yeah. And, and part of one of the things that makes me the most skeptical is just how, uh, like purposely obfuscated some of these things, like th- this shit's fairly black and white in terms of, in terms of do things exist or not exist. And like, I'm not skeptical of aliens at all. Like zero percent. The universe is big, but, um, in terms of like the, the narratives that you're sending through, I'm like, yeah, open to it, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything that makes me go, that makes me as convinced as you are. Yeah. So for, for people out there that are listening that for, I'm not convinced it's aliens, hundred percent not aliens would be the most boring answer. What do you hope it is? Um, I, I mean, aliens to me would be like an interesting one because subterranean agarthans i dudes we're oh, all in man. A, we're it's all funny. in a kaz, kaz is sitting here kaz is sitting here like trying to hold his laughing down but like i'm biting my if, tongue a bit but here's the thing here's the thing kaz you this is the most important and interesting subject in human history period like bottom line for sure and what about like 70, 80 years ago? Let's just say that's when this technology became like available that the, the government or whoever got something because that's surely the way it looks. At this point, Kaz, I want you just to think for a minute that it's real. Think of what's been kept from you. Like for 70 years, humans could have been doing insane things and people could laugh all they want, like blah, 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 blah. But think about what's kept from you. That's like how your life could have been different if humans were doing like traveling the stars and using this crazy technology from 50 years ago, from 70 years ago. So for anybody that's listening, including Kaz, what you need to do, Kaz, is you need to read a book called UFOs and Nukes by Robert Hastings. Uh, you also need to read a book called Abduction by John Mack. Um, you should watch like basic stuff like The Phenomenon and Moment of Contact. That's like basic overview stuff. There's just so much out there. And there is at this point, there's no denying that something crazy is happening. And it certainly doesn't have to be UFOs. But like these people seeing millions of people aren't fucking making this up. You know, they're seeing them on radar. People are seeing them with their eyes. And the crazy thing is people see different things at the same time in the same location isn't that interesting maybe because they're all making it up oh man you guys are fucking <laughs> so, no that's you not know the thing I'm... you shouldn't even say that though because there's people that are listening that are seeing these things and and they feel like they're not allowed to talk about them you should go and you should look up a guy called richard dolan who's basically like a ufo historian which is I mean, it sounds crazy to say, but like a hundred years from now, we're going to be looking back at this time and be like, what the fuck? Uh, I don't know. Like I'm, yeah, I'm, I am excited by things mm-hmm. and I want, like, I want to grab onto these things and I've tried to grab onto them and I just haven't found any real handholds. So, you know, let, let's keep trying. I'm still open. Keep sending me the links. Yeah. <laughs> if you get to test ride a UFO, bring it over. I want to ride in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like, what is the plan? I sh- I'm sure people are asking. Like, we're not talking about UFOs anymore? Well, uh, is it the UFO thing? <laughs> are you starting <laughs> are you Pink Martian? Is that real? I, oh, I have, I don't believe everything I hear, but like the UFO thing is super interesting to me, obviously. I've ingested every iota of English speaking UFO content. This is true. And uh, he sent like two thirds of it books, to me, I think. Books, all the books, every, like for the last like 30 years. You know, I think 
I'm so, pretty knowledgeable on the subject. So is it a UFO podcast? No. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Come on. That's, no, I don't know is, what I'm going to do. That's the best part. Or is it your sim racing career? Oh, God. Can we talk about sim racing? Yeah. Yeah. It's the You best. still haven't sent me your, the, the spreadsheet of things I should buy. Uh, I'm almost done it. Okay. I've got a couple different options setups for you, like basic, basic, okay. and nice. Sim racing is incredible. What do you want to know? Oh, I don't need I don't need to know anything. I'm already beating you. Yeah. So... Yeah, I I wish I had bought a Simrig years ago. Like I should have. I put it off for so long because I'm such like a outdoory kind of. And I was like video games. I don't play fucking video games. Should have mm-hmm. bought a Simrig ten years ago. I should have bought a Simrig twenty years ago. How many hours a week do you spend in it? Not many. No, I. Is it as intense as? Yeah. Like very much. Obviously, we were also physically dying when we went out to the Greg Moore Raceway, but oh, yeah. But like, me- was it the similar level of mental? Yeah, it's, I find it extremely mentally taxing. So my mm-hmm. sim is a triple with it's got some basic motion to it, so it shakes you around. So it's got some immersion, like a roof on it and stuff. So the idea is immersion to you know be there. Um, and I would say that I probably spend no more than five to seven hours a week on it. Where people who are good, they're called aliens, actually. So like a similar level to the amount that you like worked. I didn't work that much. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, those guys, those people are spending seven hours a day on it. And they're they're a second and a half a lap faster than me. I mean, I've got a sim coach to help me get faster. And like, I'll never get that time if I don't put in seven hours a day. How much of it will carry over to like outdoor? Not a lot. Not a lot? No, it's not like that. Mm. No. And I know people say like, oh, you should just like buy a race car. You spend so much money on this. It's not the no. same thing at all. I think, I think you buy the sim rig to save money yes. rather than... Yeah. Yes. No matter how expensive the sim rig is, it's got to be cheaper than a race yes. car. Yes. Dude, like rainy day, I go in, just sit there for an hour. I practice, watch some videos on how to do stuff, you know, and like, like I said, like a guy like myself, like I've been watching car racing since I was a tiny little kid. So to know like... To, to be driving down the back straight at Watkins Glen in a GT3 car and you know there's a big bump there, but then you feel the bump that you've seen on television for the past 20 years mm-hmm. is insane. That's pretty cool. And I have motion, so it moves. And I have headphones on and I'm talking to these people all around the world. Anybody how, that's listening that wants... How much wants, yelling is going on? I get is very it, frustrated. Is it similar? <laughs> I, get, I get angry at myself because I want to... You know, I'm very competitive and you put in a lot of time and then like some ass clown takes you out at the first corner, but that's part of eye racing. And like, that means you're in the wrong spot at the wrong time. You, you know, not always, but like most of the time. So you're going to go pro. You got a coach. You're going to go oh, pro no. sim racing. No, but anybody that wants to do some laps, it's Michael Levy two on eye racing. Eye racing, eye racing dudes. If you're listening, you guys are the best. <laughs> Angling for the sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> eye racing. If you should, I don't know how you'd sponsor me, but eye racing. Can you please sponsor Mike Levy's UFO and sim racing podcast? Please. I would say sim racing is probably the best thing to happen to me in the last five years. Sarah just got so mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You could just start a Twitch channel and then you could just broadcast your sim racing while podcasting. So I've actually, people broadcast their, while they're doing it. And I've thought about that, but I have like such an aversion to being on camera a little Mm. bit. I think people don't know that, don't realize how much the video stuff takes out of you or took out of you. That's part of leaving, to be honest, too, is like, I am not that guy. Like, I think I'm decent on camera because I want to get off camera. You're very, very good on camera. But yeah, it it takes a lot out of you. Yeah, it does. Like, it makes me tired. Like, a lot of these field tests, like, we'll film, we'll do the thing, and I will, it'll be like 4 p.m., we'll get back to the house, and I'll just go to my bedroom. And you'll see me at, like, 
9 p.m. Yeah, it's tiring. Mm-hmm. You're like high energy yeah. and like high output. Yeah. But the battery gets yes. real drained. Exactly. Yeah. And similar, like it feels similar with sim racing too. Like after an hour, I'm just like, Oof, I got to smoke a joint, go for a dog walk. Oh, <laughs> uh, what, what should we end with? I mean, that's all I have really, man. I mean, Mike Levy from Mountain Bike Hall of Fame. I'm not, I like, I'm not kidding at uh, all. Like it's, you have had a huge impact on the sport and literally millions of kids got corrupted by your bad ideas over the past whatever two decades it's crazy yeah it's crazy dude like i (sighs) travel in the world to ride bikes what the fuck yeah what the fuck was i doing (laughs) insane like i'm just like you know a random kid from chilliwack and but that was the point yeah that was always the point yeah right amazing times surreal to me that it all happened Thanks for everything. Yeah. We're going to shut this off before we get all weird Ooh. and emotional. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, everybody. It was a blast. <laughs> <laughs>